This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 8. You know, the, the challenge is, you know, when you're, when you're faced with a problem, not to try to think all the, the, the complex solutions that you can come up with. What's the simplest way to correct the problem? This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach Scott Caulfield. Today, my guest on the podcast, Ron McKeefrey, Vice President of Performance and Education at Play. Coach, welcome to the podcast. I uh, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me again. This yeah, is our second yeah. time. Round two, this. you were actually the first guest I ever hosted on the podcast, but at the early uh, time that we were doing it, we were still working out some kinks and we couldn't hear a word that was being said. It was a total wash, but we had a great conversation. Then, it's okay. So. You can only be first one time. I guess. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was a rookie podcaster, unlike yourself. You know, you've got the Iron, Iron Game Chalk Talks, been really, really successful. Um, I guess before we kind of start, tell me kind of how you started with that and why. Yeah, you know, I was, uh, I was coaching at University of Tennessee. And um, we'd gotten let go at the top. You know, the head football coach got let go, and um, and so you know we, I, uh, you know, I got caught up in all that, and I was traveling around. I didn't, my wife basically kicked me out of the house because I was driving her insane, <laughs> and I was driving around to coaches all over the country. You know, and and um, you know, I was paying for hotels and paying for gas and flights and all those types of things, and it got expensive, and so. Um, I started uh, Skyping people, and I didn't know what Skype was, but you know, learned it, and then I'd have to explain it to another strength coach. Right, I didn't know right. what it was, yeah. and and uh, started Skyping people, and uh, one of my assistants had come over just to, just to hang out, and we were talking to a coach we both knew, and uh, he's like, "Man, this is awesome! It's like an, it's like a chalk talk, you know." And and so that's kind of where Iron Game Chalk Talk came from, and. Um, you know, I just decided to, you know, I'd, I'd had a website, uh, you know, I'd gone through a coaching change in South Florida and I thought about getting out and kind of starting my own business. So I explored the, the entrepreneurial side of, of what we do and, um, but then kind of, you know, went to the special forces in Tennessee and all that and uh, put it on hold and, and it was trying to find a, a content, you know, trying to find some content. I wasn't, I, I don't consider myself a good writer, even though I've, I've written a book, which was crazy to me um but you know i didn't want to write a blog post and so um i started putting up the videos as as content and mike boyle actually reached out to me and he's like you know you should turn that into a podcast i'm like great what what's a podcast right <laughs> and uh he explained it to me and and uh and then it's, you know we're five years into it and 200 plus episodes and and uh, it's been a really cool product I've, get, I've gotten so much more out of it than I could ever have given to anybody and um, and just what it's challenged me on most was getting out of my box you know I, I'd talked you know you go to the NSCA conference and um, you know you got your friends and you end up kind of talking to your friends you might meet somebody else but the reality is is that you go there you go to the lectures you yeah. go get a beer with you know the, the, the friends that you know that you have and that's that's about it and yeah. you know you try to talk to like-minded people and for me to get and talk to you know somebody that's coached you know uh, you know paraplegics or right. to work with a completely different uh, group than I've worked with yeah. uh, really has made me a better strength coach yeah no that's cool and uh, yeah like you said like uh, getting you out of your box getting you also uh, for me, it was too like, oh man, what are we going to talk about on this podcast? Like, I got to start thinking about yeah. conversation that's going to be meaningful to the people that are listening to it, that's right? right? Not just myself, <laughs> but it's entertaining enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People no, and you've had a good, you've had a really good uh, um, run with it, and all the different people that you're seeing on there and different aspects of strength and conditioning. It's really interesting. So talked about NSCA conferences, speaking or whatnot. Um, you've been the Florida State Director of NSCA. We're here. Actually, we are actually recording this podcast in a conference room that we kind of hijacked, beg, borrow, stole, <laughs> hijacked uh, and here at the University of Missouri. Well, we're both speaking, which both spoke this morning at the state clinic. So yeah, how did you get 
get kind of first involved with NSCA and, and what different levels have you done stuff? Yeah, you know, I started with the NSCA. I went to my first, at the time it was the, um, wasn't the coaches conference, it was the sports specific conference. And this was 97, I graduated college and my first conference was in Nashville, Tennessee. And I remember driving down, they had the football conference next and I, I wasn't quite sure. I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to be a strength coach only, but but I also had a coaching, you know, I was coaching football at the time. And um, I went to the conference and what's, What's funny now, especially those that know me, you know, I went to that conference and I literally talked to one person the whole conference. I went to all the presentations, took notes and notes and notes. And uh, I, and I ended up talking to some lady that was this, you know, strength coach at Arizona State. I don't even remember who it was, but that was the only conversation, the networking conversation that I had at that conference just because I was so, I mean, I was shy. I'm an introverted guy anyways. There's, I tell people there's a big difference between Coach Mack and Ron McKeefrey. I mean, right. They're two totally yeah. different people. Um, and, uh, but I was, but I, you know, obviously got the bug and, and um, you know, I, I went immediately right from there to the Kansas City Royals and um, just had that experience and just having an organization that pours into you, that, that provides resources and, um you know, opportunity I thought was, was big. And so, you know, everywhere I've gone, I've, um, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm a guy that challenges myself to continually, you know, challenge my ideals. And, uh, and so, you know, going and being a state director, I, I wanted to be in, involved once I kind of made a little bit of a name for myself and it gave me the opportunity to speak at different state clinics and national clinics and regional conferences. And, um, I've always enjoyed it because I just think that, you know, just like you, Scott, putting on the events that you put, people that, that put on those events, that, that take the time and effort and energy to do that, uh, that needs to be reciprocated by um, everybody within the membership, you know, right. in, one, in some shape or form. And, and that, for me, was the way that I could do it. Yeah, yeah. No, and I mean, getting involved at the state level is such a great way to get involved. I know that was actually the topic of my... Uh, presentation today but like how you know for the you know your book CEO strength coach was you know kind of like a how-to manual almost too but like for you get you know other people that are thinking about getting involved why do you you know why is it important to get involved with with an organization like the NSCA a member-driven organization well I think the the number one thing is is that um, is the people that you'll meet you know, and, and um, you know, for me, again, going to those events, getting a chance to meet with people. I, I often say that if we all lived, like you, if you and I lived on the same street, we would probably barbecue every night. You know, right. we're good friends. We like yeah. to hang out with one another. We, we like similar things. Yeah. You know, I think that's the case with every strength coach, you know, and the, the challenge is, is that, you know, we work more than a full-time job. Right. And, you know, you, you don't have the time to, to, to build really meaningful relationships in your own life. You're so focused on your athletes' lives and, and building relationships with them that, you, you, you know, you don't have the opportunity to necessarily develop those kind of relationships with other people that share similar beliefs and values and all that. And so going to conferences and going to events and, and uh, participating is a way for you to, to, to surround yourself with like-minded people. And when you do that, then naturally it leads to really, really cool ideas and innovations and opportunities and, and things along those lines. And so um, mostly for me, I always like to speak because I was I got the opportunity to learn from everybody else. And so I, I you know, I, I always tried to put on conferences. I always tried to go to conferences because that was my opportunity to kind of force continuing education. And, uh, and by doing that, it's led to lots of collaborations and, yeah. and, and finding people that I can reach out to in times of need. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree with that, too. So when I was in Vermont, I mean, you know, very small state, very out of out of the way. Uh, you know, one of the last clinics that I put on after I kind of established myself a little bit, I had um, Jason Localzo speak, who was at Boston College then, and he's out in Washington now. I had yeah. Leanne Blinn speak, who's uh, it was in high school now in App State, and so I was able to reach out to some of these people. Um, that I had known either through people or another one and get them to come up to Vermont and put on a really cool clinic 
but it also helped me grow professionally, you know, where I made some good connections now and to take that next step. So I tell, I tell young coaches, especially if you're a young head strength coach, that the single best thing you can do is put on an event because not only are you bringing in people that you want to learn from, but in some capacity, and nobody ever thinks about it this way, but in some capacity, when you bring, you know, when Brian Mann brings us both into his event to speak, yeah. I mean, we're not getting rich off of this thing for sure, right. but we're still indebted to him a little bit for sure. giving us a platform to kind of share our message, sure. you know? Sure. And so, um, again, when you put on, you're a young coach, you put on events, you have speakers come in, you build this relationship that kind of, you know, it, it surpasses just a superficial relationship. Right, right. And there's so many different, you, you make me think of like other um, kind of, I wouldn't say levels, but other events like um, like the Juniata Clinic yep. and like Summer Strong at Sornex does. These events that the have kind of become, yeah, or the place on it's right. Uh, you know, but they're more than that. They're, they're these educational events and they're kind of going beyond so you know I know guys go and stay yeah. in the dorms at Juniata and uh, you know basically like going back to summer camp every year and people <laughs> have just talk about it being such a great experience and you know I don't know so this is, is a good question we kind of talked about it last night but is is this is the live clinic uh, format or market you know getting too saturated are there too many opportunity too many choices now for people yeah, it's a it's a loaded question because obviously I you know I, I challenge myself constantly to try to stay ahead of the curve in lots of different ways and and uh, one of which by putting on events is to try to figure out what we can do differently. I, I think you know some of the people that you mentioned. I mean Doug with Juniata and Jay DeMeo who spoke earlier he has a great event and um, you know obviously Summer Strong and and our play summits and stuff like that. I mean I think a lot of them that really stand out create more of an experience than they do uh, just an event, you know? And so I think that's what really separates the good from the bad, you know, right now. Um, that said, uh, it, you know, I don't think there's ever enough learning opportunities, right, you know? And right. so, you know, fortunately we have lots of different people, you know, that are doing some great things that are putting on events that, you know, you should be able to get to something. There's no excuse. If you're a strength coach and you're listening and you've not gone to an event, shame on you because there's there's enough of them right now. No, I mean, I just think about the number of like weightlifting seminar type clinics there are from a multitude of different people, organizations. Right. I mean, it's almost unbelievable how many different ones there are. But it's, yeah, I I don't, I think you're right. I don't, I think it's a double-edged sword, but um, you know, the people are definitely there to, to go out and keep learning and, and participate in it. Um, all right, I'm going back to my kind of NSCA questions. Um, but you know, what, what right now do you think that we see, um, in the industry or the profession, um, that's our biggest challenge right now? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge in our profession, um, is, making it so that strength coaches retire being strength coaches. I, I think we have some phenomenal phenomenal coaches um, that do a very challenging job um, that is starting to, to um, be acknowledged through salary and, and opportunity, but at the same time, that security factor of staying in the profession is still very difficult. Um, and challenging because there's not enough jobs for the, the surplus of coaches that we have. Um, and and so we have to find ways, we have to create ways for that to happen. And, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a bit through our conversations, but I think it's important, you know, the the Boyd Epleys and, and the the pioneers of our profession, you know, which is not, you know, like 1978 is what we're talking, right? right. Um, you know, those guys created an industry out of something that what they thought literally it was bad to lift weights right, for athletes right. at the time. And so these guys stood up and said, not only are you wrong about that, but at some point there's going to be strength coaches making a half a million dollars a year right. doing it, right. you know, and what tremendous vision casting that was. That said, our generation, yours, mine, what's behind us, what have we done to really progress that? Right. You know, maybe the, maybe the only thing that really we've done that's been kind of innovative is 
trying to, you know, started to go into the tactical space, yeah. you know, but we have to, as a profession, professionals, we need to find ways to grow our profession, grow this, you know, this job so that there is opportunities for coaches to retire doing it. If not, it's not really a profession, it's just a job. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And I don't, I don't necessarily have, you know, the, the solution to that. I know that, uh, you know, us working together closer with the CSCCA, which we are actually doing a really good job of. Uh, there's been a lot of collaboration at the highest level between our two executive directors in recent months and some, you know, that, that hasn't happened before. So I'm excited about that. And I think that's going to uh, create some opportunity. Um, but kind of related to to that question, what do you think that we should be doing as an organization for coaches right now? Yeah, I think, you know, and as, you know, as, the future. as a, as a member of both organizations and, and, you know, uh, you know, any organization that's popping up, you know, right. I think that, I think there's three things that I've been preaching kind of, uh, uh, to our membership, to our, you know, to our young coaches and myself included that we should be doing. I, I think the number one thing that we should be doing as an organization is that we should be focused on getting a strength coach in every high school. I mean, you look at college, pro, you know, elite, Olympic, it's pretty, it's, it's widely accepted now. It's not, we're not fighting those battles if it's yeah. bad. Yeah. And it's widely, it's wildly documented as to the benefits and the liability uh, mitigation yeah. that exists as well. And so we have all the information we need to make sure that we're getting a coach in every high school. Yeah. We need to make that a, our number one mission. And that would create a lot of jobs yeah. uh, for it upcoming coaches yeah. but it, and a good breeding ground and learning ground for you mm-hmm. know for opportunities and uh, but I also think that it would get, create jobs for our aging strength coaches that right. don't want a, the rat race of chasing yeah. you know money around the country and whatnot around right. the world uh, I think the second thing is I think that we need to be creating a degree in strength conditioning specifically I mean there's a lot of emphasis there's a lot of degrees that exist that kind of have strength conditioning as a piece of it but until we have classes that are, you know, strictly plyometrics or strictly speed or strictly periodization or whatever, then we won't we won't start to kind of def- make some clearly defined um, research-based decisions on those topics. Yeah. And when you do have an academic program, just like any other academic programs that exist. When you have people that are PhDs in that and they're working at it, they're doing research constantly in that area. And so we need to get more of our practitioners contributing to the research body. The third thing I think that we need to be doing is is creating, you know, kind of taking the high performance model, uh, manager model from our Olympic sport countries and applying that to our current model within the academics or the athletic department of having you know an associate or assistant athletic director that's in charge of sports performance. Yeah. Because as coaches, you look at most of those countries, most of those countries put a strength coach as their high performance director because right. they're the one that has the coaching voice that can blend a lot of those opportunities and so uh, a lot of those groups. And so I think by doing that, now, by you know, by aging strength coaches being able to stay in their community and work with the high school, or or teach, or um, you know, be these high performance managers and administration, then you know we've we've now created a role, a next step for uh, strength coaches that you know they get fired, and then you know we've got too many really talented people stopping you know, what they're doing to go roof houses or sell insurance or whatever. Right. No. And I think like you, like you mentioned in other countries, a lot of times the top coaches work with the younger athletes, not vice versa. The way it is here, top coaches work with the top athletes, other countries, the top coaches would be at the junior high or youth level. Yeah. And that's not to say that we don't have excellent coaches working in that demographic, but it, but you're right. It's, um, We've got to start to make an impact earlier, for sure. Yeah. Um, Kind of switching gears a little, but still along the same lines. Um, You know, we talked about strength conditioning coaches and this high-performance model, athletic directors being in charge. How do you think strength coaches should be evaluated? Is there a 
I mean, you maybe you've done some stuff where you feel pretty good about, you know, with your own coaching staff. Or is there a better way that you're that you can think of that we need to evaluate these coaches? Yeah, unfortunately, um, again, and and I think this is I, I myself, just like you, are a product of our education and and. I mean, students now are coming out with so much more of an understanding of strength and conditioning than I ever did, you know, coming out. I didn't even know what the CS was mm-hmm. when I graduated college, yeah. you know. Um, and so I think because of that, we, we haven't had a clearly defined way of evaluating strength coaches, you know, because there's so much ambiguity in, you know, basic principles or basic methods or, yeah. or whatever. So I don't I, I don't know if a... a, a, a an exact answer exists. Um, I was crucified in a in a strength and conditioning uh, at, at an NSCA conference, in fact, <laughs> uh, where I sat in on a round table, and, and my contention was, you know, uh, there was the contention of the panel was to kind of follow this sports uh, medicine model and you know make the strength coach as part of the, the sports medicine team and. Um, in my opinion, that you know, I have nothing but the utmost respect for sports medicine professionals, yeah. and a lot of them are fantastic. Uh, most of them are. Uh, the difference, though, is that they don't do what we do, and we don't do what they do. Right. And and so the coaching part, like I, I'm proud of. I don't want to be called, you know, these all these different terms. I, I want to be called coach. I think I, that's something that really resonates with me. And so the art of coaching to me um, and the art of strength conditioning is really the determining factor. And, and so I, I, I said what I thought we should do is we should be fighting to make strength conditioning coach a, a member of every coaching staff. Okay. You know, and so on, on the volleyball staff, instead of having three volleyball coaches, you have a fourth volleyball coach that's your sports performance coach um, and, sh- and football the same way. And now when I'm hired as a football strength coach, um, and I'm sitting on that staff, I'm able to, you know, I have a philosophy on how I do strength and conditioning, just like the quarterback has a philosophy yeah. on the best yeah, way yeah. to have quarterback play, you know, and, and um, not everybody agreed with me on that. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I, I, I think there's, there, there is an art to what we do that is hard to evaluate. Right. Um, and uh, I don't think that, I, I don't want to be evaluated, I, I know what I don't want to be evaluated on, um, although I, I think they're contributing you know, factors, I don't want to be evaluated on just wins and losses. I don't want to be, contra- unless I'm getting compensated to be that way. Right. Uh, I don't want to be evaluated just on injuries because most of the sports I deal with are violent. Right. You know, right. I don't want to be on whether or not they like me or not because right. you know there's there's you know there's plenty of examples of freshmen that don't like me as freshmen but love you know yeah. step in front of a sure. car for me as a senior. For sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't want to be held accountable for just numbers because if that kid went out and smoked his body weight and dope before he came in the lift, well, he's yeah. probably not going to have his all-time best yeah. max, yeah. you know. And so, I mean, I think those are all contributing factors, but those yeah. shouldn't be the only things that we're evaluating coaches on. Right. There's got to be more to it. And, like, it's a, I know that's a big one coming from the NCAA right now because they're kind of pushing or leaning toward this medical model, um, you know, Dr. Hainline Sports Science Institute, where they really want to see uh, this medical model where everybody answers to some sort of uh, medical professional, whether that be a team doctor. And I think the tremendously huge problem with that is, you know, people not knowing enough about the strength coach's position right. and then the you know the incredible amount of differences between division one and division three even let's not even go any farther right. in resources Agreed. you know how are you going to how are you going to pull that off at uh you know well, I Linden think state college in vermont <laughs> as coaches what we you know the coaches that are buying into that and i you know to each his own right but to me, it's the, 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 it goes back to what we were talking earlier about security, and, and we think that there's going to be more security in that because our athletic trainers have more security, you know, because they're in this model. But the reality is, is that you know, performance-driven profession, it's always going to be dependent upon the you know the highest-paid coach in the room, you know, and yeah. and at the end of the day, I don't want to go into a room where you know, I mean, there were I know some strength coaches that are PhDs that. You know, have all the education in the world that are freaking brilliant, whether or not they get a PhD or not. Yeah. But just off credentials 
in terms of the outward expression of what people think. Yeah. I'm not going to go into a room where I, I'm the least educated person in the room, right. you know, right. but you know, I walk in, you know, but with my role, the roles that I've had, I can walk into the head coach's office in a heartbeat. I can walk into the president's office, you know, most times the AD's office, you know, and I don't know, again, a lot of coach or sports medicine professionals that can do that. Yeah. You know, and so why would we why would we eliminate that? You know, again, they do their job, we do our job. That's not a, a territorial type of thing. I think it's just a it's an. I think there's many many athletic trainers that will say the same thing that they couldn't do what we do and we couldn't do what they do. Right. And so we need to con- maintain some lines there. You know, we have to obviously improve our communication, but we um, but we need to maintain you know what what's special about what we do. Yeah. Well, and what's the saying? I think, or I've heard somebody say it that if you're if you're the most educated person in the room, you probably better find a new room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, again, I think I think that you know, education wise, I mean, there you know, again, there's so many coaches that I, mean, I know medical doctors that couldn't tell you you know the first thing about a squat. Right. Right. Um, you know, and so I think they would say the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate. So you've, I mean, throughout your career, you've worked with a lot of different, um, at a lot of different situations and, you know, different settings. Um, you've probably been in good or bad different relationships with medical staff doing stuff like that. In some of the ones that have been really good, what are some of the key, you know, similarities that made that relationship so good and made it better for everybody to work together? Well... I think um, the, the, I've, I've always had a, a, a really solid relationship with our with our athletic trainers, but I think the reason why is because I've, I've essentially kind of made it mandatory for them to be involved in our in our lifting program. They need to be in the room. They need to see what we do. Um, they need to do, to have an understanding and appreciation for what we're trying to do. Likewise, when there's you know when I walk through the training room. It's not like being a typical strength coach with, you know, freaking pounding my chest and saying, oh, why are you in here? And, yeah. you know, get out of here as fast as you can, this, that, and the other. It's going in there and walking right up to the trainer and be like, okay, Scotty over there freaking, you know, tore his MCL and we're rehabbing him here. That's awesome. Where are you at in the process? Great. Fantastic. What can I do to help you, you know, with making sure that he's being compliant or this, that, or the other? You know, and and if the athletes and you're doing that in front of the athletes, you're seeing, you know, you're you're and you're supporting one another. Um, they're seeing you in the, in the weight room. They're seeing, yeah, you know, you're the the strength the athletes seeing the trainer in the weight room, and the and the athletes then again seeing the strength coach in the in the training room. Okay. Then there's a tremendous amount of support and respect there for both, and um, I think that that's the biggest thing that strength coaches can 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 bring to. Um, you know, sports medicine is that accountability. They have the ability to kind of hold the athletes a little bit more accountable just by sheer nature sometimes. And so bringing that to and help and support, you know, is often ways that you can overcome any kind of maybe personal differences that you might have. Right, right. No, that's great. I love that. Um, we have uh, worked, you know, most recently with Colorado College Hockey and uh, when at the NSCA as part of my job there and we had a I had a great relationship with RTC and he but he was all you know it was the same thing he was always in the weight room when we were training he was always coming by we just were always talking about training um, and that contributed to that you know ability for us to do a better job of return to play hey where's this guy at where's this guy at you can do this um, and me relying on him when I'd have to say hey do you think you can do this? Uh, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, you can probably try it. You know, um, kind of want to go back to your topic that you talked about today. Um, you talked about leadership and motivation for the 21st century athlete. Um, a lot of the stuff that you talked about was really great. I really, really love this um, presentation you gave today. But just a couple of the things that I wanted to talk about Um when you mentioned decision paralysis, I thought that was a really interesting term that I hadn't seen before. Talk a little bit about the context that you were utilizing it in, and you know why it's important to be aware of. Yeah, 
Decision paralysis is basically, you know, a lot of times uh, as, as coaches, we go into a situation and there's a lot of complex problems, you know, and, and, and we're really quick to point out all the different problems that exist. And, you know, I, I, the lead into that is that you need to identify the bright spots and figure out what's working within the organization and highlight that and then bring up, you know, try to address the other issues through your structure and whatnot. But that decision process, what often time happens with coaches is we have these complex problems, so we try to provide these complex solutions, you know, and so, you know, one complex, you know, one problem that typically exists is guys showing up late or missing workouts. And so what do we do? Our, you know, our, our reaction typically is, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to take away every possibility, every possible excuse they could give for, um, being late or missing. And so we end up having lifting groups all throughout the day, you know, for 15, you know, 15 hours or whatever. And, you know, that, that may solve it, you know, but now you've just added 15 hours yeah, to your day, you're working 15 you know, hours. or, or um, you could take a different approach and you can be more coach led versus player led, you know, that's player led. That's you're reactive in that scenario. You're, you're, you're trying to address their, their issues. In a coach-led scenario, there, what I would, what I do and have done is, you know, I, I eliminated all the groups and I made it two groups, you know, and I made it either offense, defense, or power and skill, or whatever it may be. It may be the whole team at one time, and um, and I, and I had everybody in the building at the same time. So one group would lift, one group would meet, because you know, in the in the alternative with all the different lift groups. You know, let's say you have a 7.30 lift group, you know, well, you have one guy that has to go to class, you know, you have another guy that's playing video games, you know, you have another guy sleeping in, you know, maybe with his girlfriend, you know, and you got another dude eating Cheerios with his underwear on, you know, watching TV or whatever. And all those things sound better than going and getting your butt kicked at a workout, you know? And so human nature for a young 18 year old is gonna be like, okay, I'm, you know, I'll just sleep in to say I missed or had some issue or whatever. But if all four of those roommates were in the building and already over there, then there's a pretty good chance that you're gonna, you know, through structuring and, and shaping the path, you're gonna have everybody there, you know? And if they're there, they're gonna, you know, half the battle is getting them there. And right, then, and then right, you get them to right. work hard. And yeah. so, you know, the, the challenge is, you know, when you're, when you're faced with a problem, not to try to think all the, the, the complex solutions that you can come up with, what's the simplest way to correct the problem? And then how can you provide and shape the path to kind of, you know, make that so that it's, it's kind of, you know, just, it makes a complete sense to the athlete, you know, and, um, that, that's something that's always worked for me. And, and, you know, I think it's important to do with your athletes. That's huge. I think that applies to so many different settings too, for us as coaches, you know, to Great. think about, Hey, find the simplest way and just make it happen. And then, and then you lead from being coach-led as you develop culture, you know, where you decide everything. If you, yeah. if, if in a, in a, in a, uh, a decision paralysis standpoint, when you create these complex problems and it creates ambiguity, and when you have ambiguity, it creates anxiety. Mm-hmm. And when you have anxiety, you frighten the athlete, you know, because okay. there's just so many different options, you know, and so they get, they kind of short circuit a little bit. Yeah. And so you want to take the ambiguity out and you want to take the, the anxiety out and you want to just, you know, make it real simple. Hey, you got to be here at this time, period. Right. That's it. Now, when you, when you provide accountability to that, you make sure that you have, you know, you don't confuse passion with emotion, yeah. that you, you don't have an emotional response. If they show up late, okay, great. Well, it, it is what it is. It, you know, find out what's going on. Hey, okay, you slept in, okay. Or hey, your, 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 your car broke down, whatever. Okay, whatever. There's still accountability for, for being sure. late. Just like you're not, agree, you're not gonna agree for every penalty flag that gets thrown. Yeah. Um, and so you just, you address it with whatever the, the consequence is that you've predetermined, that you've pre you know, you've communicated prior to, yeah. and you be, and make it not emotional. The right. problem is, is that we have this passionate response. Right. We have this emotional response to yeah. trying to show how passionate we are, right. you know, that you don't care that I've been here 13 hours a day and yeah. that, yeah. you know, this, that, and the other. And, it, and then oftentimes that emotional response leads to losing the kid. Yeah. So you want to have you want to be very coach led early, define it for them, and then as they grow in their culture, then you can lead to more of an athlete led type of program. Yeah, that's that's great, and yeah, the the passion piece is easy 
for people a type fired up strength coaches to come off no then question. as being too hard or you know or starting to rule by fear uh, and i think we've all seen you know the difference in success that people who don't rule by fear get from the ones that rule by fear well tommy moffitt had a great line you know and um i think maybe a baseball coach of his had told him this but um he said that you know players you know these athletes they're never going to love the weight room as much as you do because you chose to do this for the rest of your life right you know they're choosing to do it just to play a sport that they love unless they go into being a strength coach you know And so, you know, we got to keep that in mind, you know. Yeah. And so our passion, yeah, we love it. But yeah, and, you know, showing up on time is important and all those types of things. And we want to try to develop them as people as well. But at the end of the day, um, you just got to provide the, the, the framework, you know, for an accountable program and then just make sure that you enforce that consistently. Yeah. I love that quote. Good job, Coach Moffat. <laughs> Um, you talked a little bit about the fixed versus growth mindset. How do how we apply that in the strength conditioning world? Well, we coaching. All, yeah, we all have those coaches that, you know, we have those players that when you go to the coaches and you say and you got an issue with them and, and the coach just kind of dismisses it and says, you know, uh, that's just the way they are. Or you only have to deal with them for two more years or one more year or whatever it may be. And they, they basically just chalk up to the fact that this kid can't change. Yeah. And yeah, I think you, you, you make sure, you know, if you're a coach, if you don't have a growth mindset, your fixed mindset would be that's just the way they are. If you don't have a growth mindset, do you feel like you can change them? Then what are we really doing? Yeah. You know, we're, there's really no purpose for what we're trying to do as coaches, you know, because all every single one of us got in this profession to make an impact. Right. And so, you know, I think we always make, need to make sure and and honestly when I take you know job interviews or talk to coaches or whatever you know that's one of the things that I'm looking for does this does this coach have a growth mindset or do they have a fixed mindset and if they have a fixed one I run I run for the hills now right 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 no and I think it's a great point like uh, you and I have both talked about this because you know we've kind of changed a little bit in that we don't coach as many athletes anymore but the, the jobs that we're doing give us a tremendous impact to be able to help coaches do right. their job better. And, and especially the growth mindset coaches now that we are able to connect with and deal with, you know, and make the profession stronger. Right. Yeah. In my, in my new role, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm consulting with teams and I'm working with teams and I go in and things like that. But the day to day. But. You know, through my career, I've I've loved coaching the coaches as much as I've loved coaching the athletes. And you know, the, the old adage or the old saying is that you know, a coach touches more people in one day than most people do their entire life. You know, if we can coach coaches, I don't think there's any higher calling than that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it definitely, it's definitely what gets me out of bed most days. Um, uh, wanted to talk about this you've been around a lot of great coaches um you've developed a lot of great coaches what and you talked about some of the um one of the like characteristic tools you use to kind of identify different qualities in your assistants and whatnot but what quali- what qualities do you think are important to to hold as a leader well that's a good question i mean I, as a leader obviously you have to have a, a giving heart you have to you know ultimately you have to be in it for the right reasons and i think that in, anybody you've had on the show or you know most of the people that we are in the same circles with they do that in spades um you know i talk about you know when, when we hire people um we, we use a, a tool, that, you know, just like the Myers-Briggs, you know, it's the IMTGA and all that, you know, but that's too complicated for a, dumb, a dumbbell coach like me, you know. Mm-hmm. It, I use what, what's called a Gary, or it was produced by Gary Smalley, and basically you take the test and you're either a lion, you're an otter, you're a beaver, you're a retriever. And they all have strengths and they all have weaknesses, you know, just like being introverted or extroverted has strengths and weaknesses. So I'm a lion, you know, I'm a guy that likes to pound my chest and be in front and have vision, you know, I'm good at vision casting and things like that, but I'm not the most detail-oriented person in the world, you know. Um, That's the beaver. The beaver is meticulous and everything has a spot and they have 20 different to-do lists, Uh, but they're not the person you necessarily want up in front of your team kind of, you know, charging the the hill, you know. Um, 
the otter is your playful one. I mean, they're bouncing off the walls. They're dancing to the music with the athletes. They're always got a smile on their face. But that's not the person you necessarily want to, um, you know, doing your discipline. And then you got the retriever. That's your most loyal person, but they're not quite ready to be the one that everybody follows up the mountain either, yeah. you know? And so what I used to do is I, I used to hire lions because I thought I was a good strength coach. So I want to hire other people that I think are good strength yeah, coaches, right. but you put two lions in a cage and they're going to fight, yeah. you know, that's yeah. just what's going to happen. Um, you know, and so what I had to learn was not only do I hire for experience and credentials and education, which is all important. And the problem is that most of the young coaches that are listening probably think if I have experience and I have education, I have credentials, yeah. I, I should be the head strength coach for the New England Patriots. Right. You know, um, the reality is that there's a big, big difference between being experienced and being qualified, you know, and yeah. and, um, and part of that experience is learning how to be each one of those different archetypes yeah. or those different kind of uh, personalities. Because when you're a young strength coach, you know, when I hire now, I'm, you know, it's gotten to where it's pretty much your, your base level. You're typically going to have your your master's degree. You're going to have your CSCS. You're going to have lots of experience. That's those are pre qualifications. Those are you know, that's that's prereqs. Right. Right. Um, now, if I lose, you know, if I if I'm a lion, then I'm going to go find an otter. You know, so like I hired Marissa Viola from Rutgers because Marissa's an otter. She's got lion tendencies. She's freaking. Yeah. She's a beast. Yeah. But she also she's you know she's playful and she's got a great personality and yeah. got a great way about her and um, you know so I, I want to surround myself with people that complement yeah. my you know so I can also not only do that for myself but by doing that I make sure I reach the spectrum of our athletes right right and so to answer your question I think f to be a good leader you have to be a, a blend of those qualities. Um, but even to be more of a leader, you need to be vulnerable enough to know what your strengths and your weaknesses are and then hire for your weaknesses. Right. Now, and I know that you've said, too, that once, you know, once you've hired these other uh, people that fill in these weaknesses, you may, you know, be able to become less of a lion. You, you kind of, you know, then you can really let your true personality kind of come out a little bit more or. Yeah, well, I think, to, you know, when you're a leader, you get to be what you're comfortable being. Yeah. So if you're a lion like I am, then I get to go run around and freaking right. just pound my chest and I don't have to worry about the details because <laughs> I got somebody to do that. Um, yeah. But that's that's never the case. I think, again, you got to you got to like I strive every single day to work on my weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I, but I also magnify my strengths, yeah. you know, and I think when you're in that leadership role, you can do that. You can be who you are. Um, and then you just better make sure that you surround yourself with the others. Yeah. No, and I know our our good friend, both of our friend Joe Ken, talks about that a lot, how he's hired the people that fill in the weaknesses that he has. And he only has, a you know, a core group of the guys with the Panthers that he works right. with. And his other assistants work with, you know, they're connected on a different level with these other guys. So, right. Yeah. It's just, you know, assessing your weaknesses and your needs. Um Cool. Well, I'm going to ask you some fun questions now, kind of uh, wrapping up here. One of them I actually stole from your presentation that you uh, do with your interviews with all of your athletes. And uh, I want to know that if you weren't the vice president of performance education, if you weren't a strength and conditioning coach, period, what would you be today <laughs> as a profession? More than likely, what I'd be doing right now is I'd, I'd probably be in the military or I'd be a teacher. Um, you know, a teacher coach probably, you know, but where he's fishing because he knows this story <laughs> is um, when I was going to college, right? That, you know, that year before college, I loved um, skiing. I, I, it was a passion. It's a passion of Scott's. It was something that we, we, we like to talk about. And, um, and so I had made to basically second round of, of um, interviews for ski patrol out in Colorado. And, um, and I had a decision to make. I was either freaking go be ski patrol and live in Colorado, which is one of my favorite places, or um, or go play college football. And uh, you know, I wasn't. You know, I, I never touched drugs, never have even since. But but 
you know, I went on my, my last interview and there was nothing but a bunch of drugs. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go play college football. So <laughs> that's ultimately what probably took me down the, the, the strength and conditioning path. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. um, but I have a passion for the mountains and, and, yeah. and being out in the environment. And, um, uh, but I, you know, I don't know if people listening could, could imagine me with long hair and, <laughs> right. and ski patrol out in, in Colorado. Oh, I love it. I love it. Like I told you, that's my, uh, that's my plan for my second career. So once I'm done <laughs> strength and conditioning and I'm 60, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going into the ski patrol world. So that's uh, right. All right, cool. A couple more that people who listen to the show will have uh, gotten used to, but uh, name three people, living, dead, or fictional characters that you'd like to have dinner or hold a conversation with. Uh, yeah, this is uh, you, you're always going to leave somebody off uh, off on this, but um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer, so Jesus Christ, I think, would be the obvious answer. Uh, you know, although I'm a sinner too, so I don't know if I would like to meet him <laughs> until I see him in at pearly gates. But, um, but I think um, you know, I I I broke it up into living and dead. I I think a living would be pretty much any accomplished, really accomplished coach at the highest level. Uh, you know, Belichick, Saban. Yeah, you know, I've met both. I've introduced myself, but I've never had dinner and sat down and talked. Oh, yeah. You know, and I'd love just to pick those guys' brains. You know, the highest level of um, of winning. Um, and then the dead person, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, is my favorite president. Just a dude's dude, you know. And, yeah, for sure. Um, save football. Say, yeah, you know, yeah, was yeah. a rough rider. I mean, yeah. um, and and the president, most powerful person in the world. So yeah. uh, I think he'd be cool to have a freaking conversation yeah, yeah. with. Yeah, I bet he had some good stories. <laughs> um, all right, and you've and I'm sure you've done this before. You've been tasked. You're tasked with starting a new strength conditioning program on a limited budget. You only get to choose three items. What what do you got to What do you got to have to start? Well, I, I would say my answer, without a shadow of doubt, is that I would bring three coaches. You know, um, I think coaches, people, people are your most precious resource. And um, I think bringing people, um, you can, I mean, manual resistance, body weight exercise, all those things. I mean, you can do so much with just knowledge. Um, But if I had to be suppressed on equipment, I would have three barbells, three kettlebells, you know, any any external piece of load yeah. would work for me. Yeah. No, I love the people one. I tweeted that out earlier when you were talking this morning. So, oh yeah, <laughs> that was one of my tweets today. If people are following I made, both of us. I made his Instagram. Yes. <laughs> uh, last one. If you had a magic wand and you could eliminate one coaching practice, which one would it be? You know, I've been on this kick lately, and and uh, my wife. It's it's funny because my wife, you know, freaking three years ago, she said, "Oh, you should read this book." And I, you know, I was like, "It's one of your chick books. I want to read it." <laughs> and uh, and then you know, I, I stumbled across this this TED talk on the power of vulnerability, and uh, it was Brene Brown, and and she's written a couple books, and they're they're all excellent as well, and. As, as, as per usual, my wife was right. And um, it really, you know, vulnerability is, you know, it's one of the scariest places that you can ever be. Uh, but it's also where curiosity and joy come from, you know. And, and, and so my magic wand would be, you know, tapping these coaches, these strength coaches, coaches in general that have this fake, this bravado, that this hard outer shell that, you know, it's impenetrable. And you're just kind of robotic with your athletes. I think you know there's so much power in just being real, you know. And 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 so when I'm having issues with my wife, when I'm having issues with my kids, when I'm having just financial issues or anything, you know, or there's there's teachable moments that are in my own family. Um, I found so much uh, of our athletes, you know, identifying and appreciating when I shared those types of stories every bit as much as the motivational story to get them to win, you know? Right. They appreciated that every bit as much, and what it did is it got them to buy into me more as a, as a coach, as a person, as a leader, and, you know, and they, they'll follow you to the ends of the earth, you know? And, and when you show that you're a human being and you coach human beings, um, that leads to so much more of an impactful um, coaching style. Yeah. And um, and so to me, that's that's the lesson that I've had to learn as a 20 plus years in the profession now is that I didn't have to act like a freaking 
Marty Badass right. the whole time. I had yeah. all I had to do was say, you know what, I'll get you the answer, or and yeah. kill myself, or show that I really truly cared, yeah. and uh, and share those things. Because the reality is this, you know, guys and gals that are listening. Most of the athletes that we're dealing with now are coming from single parent homes. Most of them, you know, unfortunately come from, you know, so low socioeconomic uh, deals, but they also are coming from silver spoon families that they haven't been taught, you know, some life lessons as well, yeah. you know, and they're, and they're not being taught some of these things in the home, like it or not. And um, I think if we can model some of those things, then we're coaching the athlete beyond just the four years that we may have them. And that, that's what we're here to do. That's our calling. Yeah, and that's the whole. That's that whole other side of the that EQ side of things, right? Mm-hmm. The emotional intelligence, the real connection with human beings and people, and Agreed. and that that will take us to another level as a coach. Too. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's great. This has been a great podcast. Uh, we do have. Uh, Another play event coming up that uh, you and I are going to be part of uh, in July. Yeah. Why don't you plug that for us? Too? Yeah, we have uh, uh, two events, actually. We have one that is going to be in Ireland. So if anybody nice. in Ireland's listening to this, June nice. 17th is going to be our, our third and final international summit of the year. Um, and, uh, and then July 8th, for any young strength coaches, GAs, interns, uh, young assistants, um, we're doing a professional development mastermind. And the masterminds are deep dives on a topic where there's a, basically a lecture and then a workshop. So uh, I'm doing a lecture on resume writing. And so you're gonna listen to the lecture, then you're gonna write your resume. Nice. Um, Scott's doing a, a, a presentation on interview skills. And then we're gonna turn around, we're gonna do speed dating interview questions where you're gonna get nice. peppered by love it. Um, lots of different co- um, coaches that we're bringing in to ask uh, interview-like questions. Um, we're doing, I think Gary Schofield's doing program design and we're doing, you know, warm up and, and all the components of a program. Um, and so you're going to have a, you're going to be with like-minded coaches and you're going to, and you're going to learn from some of the best in terms of, um, what they're really looking for and how you can advance yourself in this profession. So it's going to be good. It's July 8th. Um, you can actually go to, if, if I'm not mistaken, it should be live now, but our new website for play performance is uh, playperform.com, playperform.com, or you can go to playsummits.com and uh, and register there. But we're, you know, as Scott mentioned, I'm you know fairly active on social media and all that as well, and uh, we'll be making sure that we pump that out as well. Yeah, I'm super excited for the resume and interviewing one. Actually, you know, just to participate in it, not not for my own, you know, resume and interviewing skill, just because I'm passionate. I love that stuff right now, and yeah, and for especially for these young coaches. So, young coaches, if you're listening, I hope to see you in Woodstock, Georgia, in July. Um, I know you mentioned it, but if people somehow have not connected on social media yet with you, how do where do they find you? Uh, Pretty much every one of them. I'm at R McKeefrey, at R and then M-C-K-E-E-F-E-R-Y. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Coach, for being on the show. I will see you very soon. Thanks, brother. Hey, and just for everybody that's listening, just wrapping it up, I, I know from years of experience how much work goes into uh, putting on these events. And so I uh, truly appreciate you, Scott, friendship as well as the things that you're doing for the NSCA and, and for us as a community. So appreciate it, man. Thanks. You too, brother. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.